Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, July 16th, 2021. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Intel is considering a major acquisition to leapfrog back into semiconductor contention. Valve releases its long-rumored hardware device, why they were able to make a deep fake of Anthony Bourdain's voice, and of course, the weekend long-read suggestions. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Sources say Intel is exploring a deal to buy Global Foundries, valuing Global Foundries at about $30 billion, and giving Intel a shot in the arm with its recent plans to go head-to-head with TSMC, and also its recent attempts to regain relevancy in the semiconductor market, quoting the journal. Global Foundries is owned by Mubadala Investment, an investment arm of the Abu Dhabi government, but based in the U.S. Any talks don't appear to include Global Foundries executives. As a spokeswoman for the company said, it isn't in discussions with Intel. Intel's new chief executive, Pat Gelsinger, in March said the company would launch a major push to become a chip manufacturer for others, a market dominated by Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, or TSMC. Global Foundries is one of the largest specialist chip production companies. It was created when Intel rival Advanced Micro Devices in 2008 decided to spin off its chip production operations. Global Foundries has about 7% of the foundry market share by revenue, according to Taiwan-based research firm Trendforce, end quote. Quoting Daniel Newman on Twitter, this is huge news and enables Intel to finally go after TSMC at both the leading and lagging edge. Big price tag, but a bold move that I can see working out well for Intel, end quote. Quoting Patrick Moorhead on Twitter, on Intel acquiring Global Foundries, I can see why it would want to, as it would make Intel a full-stack provider with specialty tech for 5G, Internet of Things, and automotive, but the regulatory hurdles would be immense, end quote. Actually, I'm not sure about that. Maybe given the geopolitical nation-state competitive layer to the semiconductor industry that we've been discussing at length all year, I can see governments, to the contrary, actually encouraging Moves like this that would make their domestic chip companies stronger. And finally, here's Matthew Prince, quote, Fascinating to think about Wintel being forced to disrupt itself, to survive. Microsoft, from Windows-centric to cloud-centric, pretty successfully. Now, maybe, Intel from OEM to ODM. Wish Clay Christensen were still with us to comment, end quote. Valve finally announced Steam Deck, its long-rumored Switch-like handheld video game device with a 7-inch touchscreen display. It's available in December from $399, though pre-orders began today, quoting The Verge. The device has an AMD APU containing a quad-core Zen 2 CPU with 8 threads and 8 compute units worth of AMD RDNA 2 graphics alongside 16GB of LPDDR5 RAM. 
There are three different storage tiers, 64 gigabytes for $399, 256 gigabytes for $529, and 512 gigabytes for $649, according to Valve. You can also extend the available storage using the high-speed microSD card slot. The Steam Deck has a huge number of control options. There are two thumbsticks, but also two small Steam controller-style trackpads beneath the thumbsticks, which could give you more precision for things like first-person shooters. The front of the Steam Deck also has ABXY buttons, a D-pad, and a 7-inch 1280x800 touchscreen for 720p gameplay. The device also has a gyroscope for motion controls, And like Nintendo Switch, it has two shoulder triggers on each side, and there are four back buttons, two on each side, as well as built-in microphones. As for the battery, Steam Deck's onboard 40-watt-hour battery provides several hours of playtime for most games, Valve says. For lighter use cases like game streaming, smaller 2D games, or web browsing, you can expect to get the maximum battery life of approximately 7 to 8 hours, end quote. Valve tells IGN that, quote, you can play Portal 2 for 4 hours on this thing. If you limit it to 30 frames per second, you're going to be playing for 5 to 6 hours, end quote. And if you need to pause your game, the Steam Deck offers a quick suspend slash resume feature built into SteamOS that will let you put the device into sleep mode and pick up where you left off later. Valve will also sell a dock you can use to prop up a Steam Deck and plug it into external displays like a TV. You won't need a dock to plug it into a TV, though. Valve says that the deck can be plugged into your TV, monitor, or even your old CRT if you have the right cables. The deck comes with fully-fledged USB-C ports that contain HDMI, Ethernet, and USB data, as well as standard Bluetooth. You'll also have native Bluetooth audio, something that's missing from the Switch. On the software side of things, the Steam Deck runs what Valve is calling a new version of SteamOS that it's optimized for the handheld's mobile form factor. But the actual OS is based on Linux and will use Proton as a compatibility layer to allow Windows-based games to run without requiring that developers specifically port them for the Steam Deck." You might have heard the maker of a new documentary about Anthony Bourdain says he used AI to recreate Bourdain's voice and synthesized the audio of three quotes from the deceased TV host in the documentary, quoting The Verge. The deep-faked voice was discovered when The New Yorker's Helen Rosner asked how the filmmaker got a clip of Bourdain's voice reading an email he had sent to a friend. Neville said he had contacted an AI company and supplied it with dozens of hours of Bourdain speaking, quote, And my life is sort of shit now. You are successful, and I am successful, and I'm wondering, are you happy, end quote, Bourdain wrote in an email, and an AI algorithm later narrated an approximation of his voice, saying thus... Neville told Rosner that there were three lines of dialogue that he wanted Bourdain's voice to orate, but he couldn't find previous audio to string together or make it work otherwise. There's no shortage of companies that can achieve this kind of AI voice replication, and there's actually a burgeoning industry of companies that can specifically generate voices for video game characters or allow you to clone your own voice. But whether it's ethical to clone a dead person's voice and have them say things they hadn't gotten on tape when they were alive is another question, and one Neville doesn't seem too concerned with. Quote, we can have a documentary ethics panel about this later, he told The New Yorker, end quote. Yes, that is interesting. Aside from the implications of resurrecting dead celebrities, this is another case of people taking your data 
and doing something else with it that you might never have intended. We've discussed how almost everyone in North America can be turned into a deep fake using all of the pictures and video we've voluntarily posted to social media. They've been training AI on our faces for years at this point. But this made me realize that deep fakes of voices is probably harder to do because unless you're a somewhat famous person or someone who's done a fair amount of work in the media, how many hours of audio of your voice do you think is floating around out there in the world? Probably not that much, right? Unless you're a radio or TV host or maybe an audiobook reader slash voice artist. Or unless you're a podcaster with nearing a thousand episodes of a podcast where you're pretty much the sole voice. I figure there's about 270 hours of my voice just from this podcast. And then if you add in the over 200 hours of the Internet History podcast, you'd have more than enough data to train a vocal deepfake of me. Not that anyone would want that, but if they did, so long as my heirs get paid for it, I'm giving you all preemptive permission now to use my voice for whatever you want after my death. Want a better way to simplify your business finances across expenses, vendor payments, and accounting? If so, Ramp could be a complete game changer. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spend. With Ramp, you're able to issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Ramp's accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time so you don't have to. You'll never have to chase down a receipt again, and your employees will no longer spend hours submitting expense reports. The time you'll save each month on employee expenses will allow you to close your books eight times faster. Ramp's also saves you money. Businesses that use Ramp save an average of 5% the first year. Ramp is easy to use. Get started, issue virtual and physical cards, and start making payments in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. And now, get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash techmeme. Ramp.com slash techmeme. R-A-M-P dot com slash techmeme. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse. That laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. Time for the Weekend Long Read Suggestions. It was by far one of the biggest IPOs of the last year. So let's check in on how Roblox is doing. This is from The Verge, quote, 
When I asked Sheldon how he feels about outsiders migrating to the platform, he described it as awesome and absolutely inevitable because of both the strength of the platform's tools and the opportunities that increasingly exist on it. But for those game makers looking to professionalize their work, there's one big caveat. Roblox remunerates developers at the inverse rate of how video game stores tend to operate. Rather than taking home 70% of each transaction as they might on Steam, content creators actually see just 27%. There's also the fact that Roblox, despite being publicly listed on the stock exchange with a valuation of $41 billion in March this year, isn't yet profitable. It reported a net loss of $253 million in 2020, alongside further losses of $97.2 million and $86 million in 2018 and 2019, respectively. While outsider game makers migrating to the platform won't likely impact the fortunes of the company in the long run, unless, say, Hideo Kojima joins the party, Such curiosity could yet spark interesting results that reverberate beyond it. One only need to listen to Ricky Haggett, whose credits include cult video game hits Wilmot's Warehouse and Hohokam in addition to I Am Dead for one possible peek at the ways Roblox's seamless multiplayer components might impact video games more broadly. Quote, Our new game has definitely been influenced by playing a lot of Roblox, he says. It's been such a good expression of faff-free hanging out with friends in a pandemic. There's almost no barriers to entry, Roblox feels frictionless, end quote. This is perhaps Roblox's most enticing offer to game makers, online infrastructure that can accommodate either many players or just a handful in games that encompass everything from gigantic commercial projects to small meditative titles. For Pipkin, it's precisely these social elements that make the platform special, quote, regardless of the fact that Roblox itself is a company whose goals sit somewhere between laudable and questionable, people find a way to make meaningful spaces and interactions with one another inside of it, and they do so with vigor and abundance, says Pipkin. It's compelling to be a part of, end quote. Next, we've spoken a lot recently about the Cyberspace Administration of China, the regulatory body that has been bringing the hammer down on startups like Didi and ByteDance. So what is this once obscure agency? Bloomberg digs in for the details, quote, At its inception, the agency, also known by its Chinese name of the State Internet Information Office, was charged with asserting control over China's social media, curtailing online debate, and instituting stricter rules on content. It flourished under Liu Wei, who took over as director in 2013, growing in size and absorbing other cybersecurity departments. In 2014, the watchdog began dispatching delegations to international cyber events and brokering meetings between Xi and technology chieftains such as Mark Zuckerberg and Tim Cook. It also established an international internet conference in the town of Wuzhen that attracted industry leaders from around the world. Liu was removed from office in 2016 on charges of corruption, however, so Xi appointed Zhu Lin, a longstanding party official, as his replacement. The Chinese president had wanted the CAC to become a highly centralized agency for content regulation and cybersecurity policy coordination, and the agency soon expanded its policy and regulatory coordination capacity, quote, across internet content sectors and broadly the entire cyberspace, according to Plenum's Fang. Under Zhu, the agency also recruited and promoted more cyberspace and technical professionals to replace propaganda officials. Its present director, Zhang Rongwen, once worked as an engineer before becoming a vice minister at the propaganda department. Two of the four current deputy directors also come from the telecommunications and IT industry, end quote. Next, from Protocol, I've been waiting to do a long read for you on Tiger Global, the big new fund that is giving SoftBank a run for its money in terms of being aggressive, in terms of writing huge checks to global startups. 
So here's a piece contrasting the styles of the two. Quote, In 2021, there's been an explosion in venture capital investment as all that cash has sought places to land. The first half of 2021 shattered records with $288 billion invested in startups globally. Leading the pack is Tiger Global Management, which has emerged as this year's funding jockey, setting a blistering pace with venture firms racing to keep up. Tiger Global has invested in over 120 startups already this year, according to an analysis by PitchBook for Protocol, and shows no signs of slowing down, with a $6.7 billion fund announced in April and a rumored $10 billion fund on its heels. Their strategy right now seems to be hinging a lot on money is still cheap. The public markets are still accepting these unicorns and VC-backed companies and sustaining those high valuations that they're seeing in the private markets, said PitchBook analyst Kyle Stanford. Sometime last year, Tiger Global saw the opportunity to just put as much money to work in the market right now as they can, and that's what they did, end quote. SoftBank, meanwhile, has returned to the market after the WeWork deal's fallout cooled outside investors' interest in its vision fund, too. The firm rebounded after mega-hits like Coupang and DoorDash, and is now as much of a player as it was when it first shook up the venture capital world. SoftBank recently upped the size of Vision Fund 2 to $30 billion of its own money and has made 90 investments from the fund. Tiger Global and SoftBank are now the two largest investors when it comes to dollars invested in startups in 2021, but the approach to how the two deploy capital is incredibly different." End quote. And finally, Moderna, one of the mRNA companies that gave us the COVID-19 vaccine in record time. What's next for Moderna? According to Bloomberg, vaccines for everything. Quote, for Moderna Chief Executive Officer Stefan Bansell, the COVID vaccine is just the beginning. He's long promised that if mRNA works, it will lead to a giant new industry capable of treating most everything from heart disease to cancer to rare genetic conditions. Moderna has drugs in trials for all three of these categories, and Bansell says his company can also become a dominant vaccine maker, developing shots for emerging viruses such as Nipah and Zika, as well as better-known hard-to-target pathogens such as HIV. In the past 40 years, more than 50 new human viruses have been discovered. Only three have authorized vaccines. Bansell views that as an opportunity. Quote, we are going to totally disrupt the vaccine market, he says during a late May interview at Moderna's Cambridge, Massachusetts headquarters. The company has vaccines for 10 viruses that are in or about to be in human trials. These include three types of COVID-19 boosters that are in mid-stage trials, a seasonal flu shot that began its first human study in July, and HIV shots that are slated to begin studies later this year. The furthest along, besides the COVID shots, combats cytomegalovirus, a ubiquitous bug that spreads through bodily fluids and is a common cause of birth defects. It's set to begin a phase three trial this year in women of childbearing age. In the long term, Moderna is aiming to develop an annual super shot that could suppress numerous respiratory ailments, including COVID, the flu, and others. Quote, our goal is to give you several mRNAs in a single shot at your local CVS or GP every August or September, Bansell says, end quote. Ride Home Plus subscribers, you're getting an interesting raise episode as soon as I can finish editing it this afternoon. Everybody, I'm also going to drop the Twitter space from the other afternoon into all the feeds since we talked about so many things in that conversation that were directly related to stuff talked about on the show yesterday. It's like immediate meta commentary. And uh, that's it. 
Have a good weekend. Talk to you on Monday.